Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of the people of the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Amen. So this is a very important Yom Tov, and I think it's interesting. I mentioned this before, but it's interesting to me that the followers of the Mashiach, by and large, unless you belong to an Orthodox synagogue that believes in Yeshua, which is pretty much us, um, people don't really acknowledge the seventh day of Pesach, and... They don't know, they, some know it exists, most people don't know it's a Yom Tov. They certainly don't have services on the seventh day of Pesach, um, and those kinds of things. But it's a remarkable, remarkable day, and as Amet said, it has a lot of Kedusha, like, we, like he mentioned about praying, because it corresponds to the seventh day of Sukkot, which is Hoshana Rabbah, which if you'll notice when we read the, when Mikael read the special Torah, or yeah, the Haftarah portion, that passage included the, um, the, the section about bringing up salvation, or joy rather, from the wells of salvation, which is exactly what, the, what was spoken in the water drawing ceremony, which with that whole verse is about the water drawing ceremony, which when Yeshua was in the temple during Sukkot on the last and greatest day, which is Hoshana Rabbah, he said, I am that well. And we read that portion on this day, which connects those two days. And then the sages teach that the eighth day of Sukkot, which is Shemini Atzeret, is actually a separate festival where God says, all right, you fulfilled my will, but now I want to bring you unto myself and allow you to be with me one, one extra day, which is representative of, of, all, of all of eternity. So today is, is that Hoshana Rabbah, that seventh day, and the correlation for us is that there's a span of time between the two Mashiachs until we reach Shavuot, which is the Shemini Atzeret of Pesach, where God says, I want to bring you to myself and have you, have you dwell with me, i.e. the Torah, for eternity. So we have a mirror. There's a mirror. There's always a mirror. So we have this mirror. So... We also have this, this two Yom Tovs. We have the Yom Tov of Pesach, obviously, which is about the lamb. And we have the Yom Tov of Akron Shel Pesach, which is about the parting of the sea and the final redemption. At the first Yom Tov, we saw the, the, the lamb slain and the blood on the doorpost. At this Yom Tov, we see God and we point to him and say, this is our God and we shall praise him. That's also the two Mashiachs. Because we see the Mashiach who came first and the lamb that was slain and his blood poured out for us. And on the final day, we'll see him in the clouds, and we'll point him in and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes and becomes Mashiach ben David, parting the sea for us, and death is swallowed up in victory. There's another, I want to start out with this insight. By the way, you know, we've had two drashas go by that I, I had guest speakers. First, we had Shomerman, and lived up to his uh, Avenger identity because he came out here with like all these gadgets of firing missiles and lasers and rockets and stuff like that <laughs> and all this stuff we had to go back and like re-listen to everything because there was too much ordnance flying by our head 
And then on Shabbat, we had uh, the incredible Talmud came in here and turned green and just tore everything to pieces with his, his drosh on uh, the virgin birth. So I'm just a, I'm just a kid from uh, Grapevine. I've, I've got a shield and a spangly suit, so uh, we're, we're, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> got a good heart, though. Got a good heart, I guess. Rukashim. So I want to start out with Seifesemes. And so this is a really remarkable, I, I'm always intrigued when I see what the enemy has done with theology and how he created a bizarro world. Now some of you know about bizarro world. I had uh, Hadassah uh, Google this. I think, I think Hadassah and Rachel were together when we were talking about this. They Googled it to ver- verify that I, what I was saying was true. But if you remember the old Super Friends cartoon from a thousand years ago, there was a bizarro world, and a bizarro world was a, a, an alternative universe. I think, I think the world itself was square, if I remember correctly. And, yeah, that was a flat earthers come from there. And so you go there, and uh, Superman is bad, and Batman is bad. It's all reversed. Superman is bad, and I guess, like, the penguin is good or whatever, right? Well, that's the way it is in theology a lot of times. Everything is the reverse. How many of you people have people that say, I am only, I'm word of God only, I'm sola scriptura, but I reject all that rabbinic stuff. I reject all that oral tradition. I reject all of that Talmud stuff. How many people know people like that? But they, and they, they're like, I'm word of God only. But it's remarkable because their, their universe is actually in the reverse. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this is what Seif Asemis says. He says, the exodus corresponds to the oral law, and the splitting of the sea corresponds to the written law. Now, we're not, wait, wait, hold it. Now, wait a minute. Everybody knows about the Passover. Everybody knows about the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Everybody knows about a Pesach Seder. Most, even most Christians know about that. And some of them have the Christ and the Passover Seders and all those kind of things. They know about that, but not nobody knows, if I can use a little bit of you know, street talk, not nobody knows about the Yom Tov of the seventh day. And yet, it's the reverse. If you know about Pesach, you're into the oral law. If you know about the Yom Tov, you're into the written law. Woo! Now listen, it says, this is what Seifus Amos says. He says, the ultimate object of the Jewish departure from Egypt was the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. We covered that. That's the goal. The goal of the Exodus was to receive the Torah. So, So here's the deal. Let's just... Looking at straight facts, all emotion off the table, we're not judging anybody, we're just simply making a statement, okay? No judgment, we're just making statements. If you haven't received the Torah and if you're not living by the law, then you haven't obtained the goal of your redemption. No, that's just, that's just straight up biblical. Now you can say, well, what about Aunt Susie over there? I don't know about Aunt Susie, I'm not judging Aunt Susie, I'm just simply making a statement. That if you have not embraced the Torah, the law of Moses then you, you have not achieved the goal of your redemption. Now, you can argue with me about that, but that's the Bible. Because Hashem said to Pharaoh, let my people go, and a lot of people just stop there. But he said, let my people go, dot, 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 so that they can worship me on this mountain. What mountain? Mount Sinai. If you haven't been to Mount Sinai, then you haven't received, you're not operating in, the goal of your exodus. That's just straight up dope. <laughs> no, listen, I'm, follow, I'm following Emmett and Mikael. What can I, what can I say? <laughs> you got you to have fun, right? All right, listen. 
It continues. This understanding helps us to appreciate the significance of both the oral law and the written law. Freedom from Egypt's servitude was only the first phase in the process that culminated in accepting Hashem's sovereignty. While this may seem apparent with hindsight, immediately after the splitting of the sea, our forefathers wanted to return to Egypt to conquer their former masters. Now that the army's been destroyed, everybody said, hey, death was swallowed up in victory. Maybe what we need to do is now that the Egyptian army's gone, we need to take these weapons of warfare that we have, these battle axes and these swords that have the name Yudke Vavke on them, and we need to go back to Egypt, and we need to punish our masters. But God says, that's not the goal. I didn't, that's, not what, that's not what you're headed to. See, Armageddon's not the goal. You don't need to be, you know, uh, wringing your hands and hoping it happens because Armageddon, I want to see, see the vengeance upon my enemies. I want to see all those people that are sinners destroyed in the valley of blood. And God says, that's not the goal. The goal is redemption, not destruction. See, there's a lot of people out there that can't wait for Armageddon. Hope it comes and trying to figure out when it's going to happen because they want to be there to see it. And God says, that's not the goal. My goal is redemptive, not punitive. It's going to be the final redemption, not the final punitive. That's why it's called in Judaism the final redemption and not the final judgment. That's why in Judaism it's called the, I'll say it again, Hover. That's why it said in Judaism it's called the final redemption, not the final judgment. Because if you really understand this, then see, again, bizarro world, the, the message of grace is actually a message of judgment. But in Judaism, the message of the law is actually a message of grace. Because it says we want to see the law, we want to see everybody come under the law. Let me just say it like it is. Let me, we want to see everybody come under the law so that they can have grace. The message of grace says we want to abandon the law so that you can have judgment. Bizarro world. It says here, they wanted to go back and conquer. But Moses had to convince them that they had a much greater mission to accomplish. Listen to this. They had a much greater mission to accomplish, which was receiving the Torah. You know, a lot of people get, get this whole oral law, written law thing backwards. How many know people that pray before they eat, but they don't pray after they eat? I'm just saying, we're just, we're just talking here. They pray before they eat, but they, they bless the Lord before they eat, but they don't bless the Lord after they eat. But they claim to be sola scriptura, but in fact, they practice oral Torah and reject the written Torah. So when they pray before they eat, they're practicing rabbinical Judaism. When they fail to pray after they eat, they're not practicing the written Torah. How many people? How many know people that believe in water baptism but don't wear tzitzit? So water baptism is rabbinic, and oral Torah, wearing tzitzit is written Torah. I mean, you know people that believe in communion but reject kashrut. See, communion actually comes from the four cups of the Pesach Seder, which is all rabbinic, but kashrut is written Torah. So you, you claim to be a lover of written Torah only, but you actually only practice oral Torah. But why? And the answer is because you only have the lamb of the Exodus, but not the final redemption that leads you to Sinai. And that's why your world is backwards. 
That's why your world is backwards. This bread that we eat today is another interesting insight from Safest Amaze is that it's interesting here because the matzah that we eat today, the matzah that we eat today has a unique significance as opposed to the matzah that we've been eating all week long. Okay? It says the, re the relationship between the first six days and the seventh is analogous to that of the six weekdays and the Shabbat. All week long, we strive for humility through self-negation. On Shabbat, a day of intense spirituality, we achieve it through intimacy with Hashem. So it says here, the above approaches assume that matzah symbolizes humility and self-negation. The uniqueness of the seventh day of Pesach can also be understood in light of another aspect of matzah, which is freedom. Freedom implies not only liberation from slavery, but also, listen, but also accepting Hashem's sovereignty over us, that is his law over us, as indicated in the opening words of the Hallel. Now, what this is saying is, is that from a Jewish point of view, and remember, we wrote the book. Remember that the whole concept of Messiah, the whole concept of Messiah, that whole concept itself of a Savior of the world, a Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, that whole concept comes from Judaism. It didn't come from Rome. It didn't come from Asia. It didn't come from Antarctica. It came from Judaism. So therefore, if you want to understand what it means to receive redemption, then you have to go back to the Jewish way of looking at it. You can't go to the other ways of looking at it. Because, see, it didn't originate there. So when you look at the Jewish way of this, redemption, that is freedom, is only freedom if you've coupled that with the sovereignty of the king. But if you're living outside of the sovereignty of the king, i.e. you're not living by his law, then you don't have freedom. You actually have bondage. Now, right now we have a pandemic going on in the world, and there are some uh, guidelines that the government has put out, you know, as far as staying apart and so on and those kinds of things, right? And... All that's well and good, and we're all abiding by them. But I was listening to a uh, legal scholar, and he was saying that these are just guidelines. That a governor, certainly a mayor, no one has the authority to take away your constitutional rights. I don't care what's going on. No governor can say to you, I'm going to suspend your constitutional rights because of this crisis. Now you say, well, well, they're doing that. I understand they're doing that in some places, but they, not really, they really can't do that. Right? Like the fact that we're not having service right now is because we're trying to be smart. We're trying to be safe. 
use common sense, yes, hover. But if I didn't have any of that, I could call a service right now, and there's not a thing in the world anybody could do about it. Why? Because it's called the Constitution. Okay? That's being proven right now everywhere. In Mississippi, they shut down some church services, and the DOJ came in and said, uh, huh, no, don't ever do that again. Okay? Now, was it smart for them to have the service? Probably not. But that's not, that's not up to us. Okay? We're, we're not, we're, we don't live in a police state where we get to go around telling everybody what we think is smart or not. Because I don't think it's smart to sit around and drink, drink Coca-Colas and eat, eat French fries all day. But if you want to do that, you can. It's called America. I don't think it's smart to smoke cigarettes. Right? But, but it's America, so you can. I mean, that's, that's my opinion, but my opinion is I'm free to have it and you're free to have yours, and that's, that's what makes life great. I think that everybody should follow Torah, right? I think, I, think, I, think, I think the whole world should keep the Shabbat, right? But I'm not about to go shut down. If you want to go shopping on the Shabbat, it's called the United States. You can do that if you want to. Now, I don't think you should, but that's your right to do that. I'm going to try to convince you not to, but there you go. This is why law brings freedom. See, bizarre world, it's the exact opposite. If we didn't have the Constitution, we wouldn't have the freedom to gather. That's the thing. The reason the DOJ, that's the Department of Justice for people in Rio Linda. Um, some people get that. Um, but listen, uh, the, that's why the Department of Justice says uh, you can't shut down church services in the United States. For any reason, actually. Now, again, don't understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, obviously, we're, there's no women here. So, I mean, you know, obviously, right? So I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not, all I'm saying is you can't do that. But the reason you can't do that is because there is law. And most people think, theologically, that the absence of law is freedom, but that's the exact opposite. It's actually... Being under the law of God is what gives us the freedom. Most people say, you don't want to be under the law. You do. And I always try to retort back, well, do you want to be under the Constitution? Now, see, it's a contradiction. If you say, well, I want to be under the Constitution, that is the law of man, but I don't want to be under the law of God. Woo, wait a minute. You're contradicting your whole worldview. But it's never been put to you like that, so I, I, I give you a pass. Because you've been taught that the law of man is good and awesome and the law of God is terrible. You've been told that you want to be under the Bill of Rights because that's freedom. But you don't want to be under that old Moses law because that's death. The law of man brings life. The law of God brings death. That's what you've been told because that's the message Satan wants you to hear. He wants you to hear that his law is good and, your, and God's law is bad. It's never been put to you that way. So it says here, the matzah we eat the first six days of Pesach commemorates liberation from Egypt. While the seventh day of Pesach, and especially, and especially the Song of the Sea, symbolizes acceptance of God's sovereignty. Thus the, the verse, for six days you are to eat matzah, and the seventh day shall be a simile to Hashem your God, may be interpreted as follows. Six days celebrate your freedom from Pharaoh by eating matzah, 
And on the, on the seventh day, celebrate your new status as servants of Hashem. So all this week, we've been, we've been eating matzah, and we've been celebrating our freedom. But today, when we eat matzah, we celebrate the fact that we have become a new creation as servants of Hashem. Now, now this whole day is about that. It's about the parting of the Red Sea. So we came out of Egypt and we went to the waters to be mikvah. So we come up out of the sea, new creatures. Our old slave master is gone and we only have one master and that's Hashem. That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the fact that no longer are we beholden to the old natural law, the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the world outside of Torah. That's the law of sin and death. Someone says, well, the law of sin and death, I was always told, was the law of Moses. That's blasphemy. You understand that, right? For anybody t- says to you the law of sin and death is the law of Moses, you want to say, wait a minute, are you trying to tell me that the Scripture is sin and death? Think about it for a second. The Word of God, Hasveh Shalom, is sin and death? The book of Psalms is sin and death? The book of Deuteronomy is sin and death. The book of Exodus is sin and death. The book of Isaiah is sin and death. If you look, I want to use something, a strong word here. If you believe that, you're sick. You're mentally ill. No, I know. I'm not. No, already Rebbe seems mad at me. I can tell. I can, I can feel it in the spirit. <laughs> It's true, though. That's so messed up. If you think about it, but understand, I'm giving you a pass. No one's ever told you this before. You never, you never had anybody put it to you like that before. Because you were always taught that the Old Testament was sin and death and that the, the New Testament is grace. But what nobody told you was is what, what, you're, what, you're, what you bought was that the Word of God, that B-I-B-L-E that you carry around with you all the time, that two-thirds of it is sin and death, which would beg the question, why do you have it? I mean, really. You know how many people have, like, scriptures from the Old Testament? I hate that phrase. I'm just using it because people watching want to understand that. They have that all over their Why do you have sin and death all over your house? How many people? How many people out there? Raise your hand out there if you like Psalm ninety-one. You you quote it like a, a, th- a thunderstorm is coming with a potential tornado, and you start quoting Psalm ninety-one. Why are you quoting sin and death? You're inviting sin and death into your house. Well, you're saying to me, no, Rabbi, that's not sin and death. Exactly. So, sin and death can't be the word of God. It has to be something other than the word of God, right? So when we cross the Red Sea, then death, sin and death, is swallowed in victory, and what we have left is the Word of God, i.e. the law of Moses. That's what we have left. The, uh, are we good? Are we okay? It's not too violent, is it? All right. Okay. This is a little bit like that elevator scene. And All right. This day represents the, the end of the fight with the Yetzirah. 
The Yetzirah is sin and death. The Yetzirah is swallowed up in victory. It says, we will suggest here some simple uh, keys to resolve a, a, a question on the table which has to do with, with this day. The word matzah may be understood also to mean strife. Furthermore, the exodus may be seen not merely as a physical liberation from slavery, but also a process, a process, a process of spiritual freedom from the Yetzirah, that is the evil inclination, a theme which we develop more extensively, it says elsewhere. In the light of these assumptions, the phrase, six days shall you eat matzah, may be construed as follows. Six days shall you fight the Yetzirah, and on the seventh day there shall be an assembly at which the elusive goal of Jewish unity shall be attained. Why? Because this is a day where we actualize humility. Because matzah is seen to be humility. The crossing of the Red Sea, according to the uh, book of our heritage, it says this. And when Moses spread out his hand upon the sea, the sea was, was pulled back. He sh- or, 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 or actually before that, the sea was reluctant to pull back. He showed it his staff, but the sea would not listen until God himself appeared in his glory and the sea gave him honor. The sea began to retreat and when its waters were split, all of the waters of the world split. Even the waters in pits and channels and caves, even the waters in heaven. This is why this speaks about the Mashiach ben David because when he came the first time, Only a few saw him and recognized him. But when he comes the next time, he'll come on the clouds of glory and everybody will see him. See, it wasn't just that the Red Sea split, but everything split. Every body of water, every pond, every little puddle, everything split. So the whole world knew that that had happened. But you had to be in Egypt to see the lamb. But if you were at the Red Sea, the whole world saw that. This is why when Jethro showed up, he knew what happened. Because, see, his cup of water split, too, when he was about to drink it. It says that even the children set up. Even the nursing infants set up. And they said, this is my God, and I shall exalt him. The, the, the babies in the womb, you remember, remember when Miriam came, and she met her cousin Elizabeth, and the baby leaped in her womb. <laughs> Little Yochanan leaped in, his, in, in the mother's womb. Why? Because she saw, he saw Yeshua. They were in the same dimension anyway at that moment, you understand. They were both in the Ganadin, which is likened to the womb. It says, at that time, all the glory of heaven was revealed to, to, to Israel so that even a maidservant saw more then Yeshayahu and Ezekiel and all the other prophets. This is why Yeshua say that, said that, that prophets and kings and great people have longed to see my day. That's why he said that. Because that's what happened at the Red Sea. They, we all saw him. Listen, the, may all of our eyes see the coming of the Mashiach. But when we see Mashiach, we will have more inspiration and more prophecy and more power and more insight than all the prophets put together. Why? Because we've seen the living Torah. It says here, it was not only Israel who sang God's praises, but all the nations sang God's praises as well. 
It says here, the nations abandon their false gods, and all of them open their mouths and acknowledge, who is like you among the gods, Adonai? Mika moka bailim Adonai. Everybody said that. We say that here every service, and, it, and people come in, and uh, they're not used to everything, and that's totally understandable, and we're glad they're here. And they hear that, oh, I'm not familiar with that. How do you say that? Mika moka bailim. What's beautiful is at one time you said that. One time we'll all say it again. It says, each and every one of the people understood and saw that which the world's prophets had never seen or understood. It says in the book of our heritage, even the unborn in their mother's womb sang this song together. And even the unborn saw the manifestation of God's presence that even Ezekiel the prophet never got a chance to witness. Little babies dancing in the womb today. Why? Because they see something that we, even, we, we can't even see. The important thing to understand about this day and what it is illustrating, the, the importance of the message of this whole day is that the exodus is not the destination. It, it was the beginning of the journey. The exodus is the beginning of the journey. We are on our way to the destination, which is the giving of the Torah. This is the great revelation. Many people are still standing at the gates of Egypt. Some, unfortunately, when you're that close, you fall back into Egypt. Few people have actually made it to this day, and even fewer have made it to the Sinai. I'm going to share something from um, Rabbi uh, Trugman here. Oh, by the way, before I do that, Rabbeinu Bakia brings down a wonderful insight on why Moses needed to bring out the bones of Yosef. Now, of course, it was a, it was a promise, right? When we leave here, take my bones with you, right? And Amet talked about this, Yosef being resurrection day, because Yosef literally rose up. But I mentioned just a second ago that the sea was reluctant to split until God showed up next to Moses. And then the splee split because the sea had, had seen God. Rabbeinu Bakya brings down that the sea didn't split until he brought the bones of Moses next to him. I'm excuse me, the bones of Yosef next to him. And when the sea saw the bones of Yosef, the sea split. In the merit of Yosef. The Zohar brings down that actually there was a pillar thrust into the sea that came from beneath the wings of the cherubim and the heavenly holy of holies above the heavenly ark, which came down. This is in uh, Zohar Beshalak, that came down into the sea, and that pillar, which came from beneath the wings of the cherubim of the holy of holies in Shemayim, that that was Memtet. And that Memtet came into the sea and caused it to split. So wait a minute, we have three things here. Is it God? Is it the bones of Yosef? Or is it Memtet? And the answer is yes. They're all connected. There's another insight that talks about the fact that the Seder speaks of Moses, but Acheron Shel Pesach speaks of Mashiach. So... Rabbi Trugman brings down this insight. 
I've shared this before, but it's, I haven't brought out ragweed treatment in, in, a, in a while. He's, he's, he, I'm bringing it back. He's making juva. So it says here, he writes, Rebbe Nachman of Breslev teaches that one can do teshuva for a previous act of teshuva. This is teshuva on teshuva. This is such a wonderful insight. It says, that is, one can repent from the manner in which one originally repented. Or deeper yet, for the way in which one initially drew nearer to God. This insight reveals the radical notion that there is no limit to the boundaries of teshuva. Teshuva is limitless. And you can do teshuva on your teshuva. It says the higher the level of consciousness one reaches, the more alert one becomes to how much spiritual work needs to be done. See, that's the paradox. The more teshuva you do, the more teshuva you need to do and want to do because you're more in tune with all the teshuva that's left undone. The more you polish the brass, the more you realize it needs more polishing. It's quite the reverse. Again, bizarre world. One people are once and done. I said a confession, that's it. I never need to make a confession again. The exact opposite in the kingdom of God. The more confession, the more teshuva we make, the more teshuva we need to make. So it says here, teshuva is a process, not a finished product. Let me say that again. Teshuva is a process, not a finished product. It is a means more than a concrete end, Rabbi Truman writes. So critical. Because sometimes, understandably, people get a little bit weary of, well, why are we making teshuva again? We, ladies and gentlemen, we will always be making teshuva. It says, the Jewish people ex- experience the full force of this paradigm when Pharaoh and his army trapped them on the shores of the Red Sea only three days after they had left Egypt. Would they succumb to their doubts and misgivings Unable to truly break free, would they return to Egypt or would they forge ahead even if it meant plunging into the sea? For only by crossing the sea could they get into the other side. Now, we all know because it says the sea was split and they went on, we went on dry ground. But because we don't study the oral Torah, we don't realize that in fact we started moving towards the sea and some of us actually got into the water before it split. In other words, we started walking towards the Red Sea before we saw that it was in fact going to split. Nakshoni actually got in there, or Nakshon got in there and up, to his, up to his nostrils before it split. Which is very important because a lot of people don't want to start following God until they see the benefit. They don't want to start doing something until they see that it's all going to work out okay. And I'm going to sit here to tell you, it doesn't work like that. I, I didn't start, I didn't start this, this, this synagogue with everything perfectly in place. Money in the bank, staff, support. I didn't go full-time in this. When I went full-time, I mean, I, it, we had something, but it, it was... It was scary. You know, we do a lot. You do everything by faith. I came on full-time by faith. We brought Keturah full-time by faith. We bring Shlomo full-time by faith. We, bring, we do everything by faith, right? 
We built a parking lot by faith. Build a mikvah by faith. If you're waiting for the sea to part before you walk, you're going to miss it. It'll probably be closed up by the time you get there. So it says, the decision to cross the sea represents the Jewish people doing teshuva on their teshuva. That is reaching an even deeper level of faith than when they originally left Egypt. For here, they were forced to face the ghosts from the past that they did not want to waver in their determination to truly achieve freedom. It says, these events of the Red Sea mirror in many ways our own experience of freedom. Sometimes people, it says, after much work, inner debate and decision-making, embark on new paths, hoping to leave their old ways behind. But then these first days are really exciting, exhilarating, and it's a breath of fresh air and what have you. And then life goes on and the thrills kind of wear off and all that. They look over their shoulder and they see old doubts coming. They look forward again. They perceive the daunting challenge of a, of a sea before them. Sometimes at this point they choose to do, to go back in their old ways, unfortunately, but more often than not people do teshuva on their teshuva so they can really achieve the freedom that God wants them to have. We need to do teshuva on our teshuva. Sometimes we did teshuva on something, you say, well, I did teshuva on that already and I failed. You know what? No, you didn't. You just need more polishing. That's all. Put a little bit more brasso on your, on your cloth and get after it. And, and when will it be shiny enough? It won't ever be shiny enough. One last thing. Why do we celebrate seven days like they do in Israel? Well, the Zemach Zedek, who is actually the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, expounded on what the Kabbalists, such as Rabbi Moshe Cordova and others write, explains that since holiness is more revealed in the land of Israel, the festivals can be revealed and received there only in one day, just like the Torah commands. The Torah commands one day, not two. So it says, however, in the, in the diaspora, since we're further away from the revelation of holiness, and therefore in order to absorb the spiritual emanations of the festivals, two days are required. This is what the Rebbe says. It says, the Zemach Zedek explains this phenomenon using a metaphor of a bright torch. When held close to an object, the light is strong and consecrated on a small area. But when the torch illuminates an object from a distance, its light is weakened and dispersed over a large area. Thus, the light of the festivals is revealed in the land of Israel in one concentrated and focused day. While in the diaspora, the light of the festivals is weaker and spread out over two days. That's all well and good except for the fact that we have Messiah Yeshua, who is the torch. So therefore, we celebrate today as a Yom Tov and not tomorrow also, because we have the brightness of the Mashiach with us, who shines his light on us. May it be God's will that we are able to absorb all the Kedusha of this seven day of Pesach, and may it be God's will that we experience and ingest and partake and become a part of us his true freedom. And may all of your hopes and dreams be answered. And may all the prayers of your heart be answered. And may we make his will our will so that our will will very soon become his will.
Arukabah Bashem Adonai. Amen.